Christian in the Campus is a podcast of the Rebels for Christ Campus Ministry. The college campus is a world of competing stories vying for students' attention and allegiance. The goal of this podcast is to orient students towards Christ in this brave new world so that we can bring about a revolution of redemption on the University of Mississippi and Northwest Community College campuses. Hey, this is the Christian in the Campus podcast, and today uh, I get to be interviewing uh, a true campus ministry veteran, uh, Chris Buxton. Um, You've been at Arkansas Tech, Arkansas State, and now uh, recently, just in the past like year, year and a half, you have started uh, ULife Campus Ministry Planning and Consulting, and yeah, uh, I don't know. I'll let you introduce yourself some more, but then we'll, and then we'll kind of shift our text, but I don't know. Chris, anything you want to say about yourself and your campus ministry experience before we jump in? Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Uh, it's a it's, it's it's a lot of fun to get to talk about campus ministry with you, Ben. Um, but no, I think that's pretty much sums it up for this audience. Uh, I was the campus minister at Arkansas Tech for uh, about eleven, a little over eleven years, and then was able to come back to my alma mater at Arkansas State and re basically relaunch the ministry there. When I came back in 2010, it had uh, basically died. They sold the old building and liquidated the assets. And so there really wasn't a ministry in existence there. And so I was asked to come back and basically rebuild and relaunch it and was able to, to, to do that um, a, a little, for a little over 10 years. So by God's grace, that ministry is is up and running and doing great now. And, and then last August, I launched a new organization called ULife, and it's, um, it's devoted to consulting and coaching and planting uh, in the campus ministry world. So I, I do a lot of coaching with campus ministers. I do a lot of consulting with the ministries. And then I also work some with, with people who are wanting to, to plant or start brand new ministries. And that's been a lot of fun. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, Chris is a campus minister's campus minister. Uh, he he pastors, I think, uh, a lot of a lot of us younger campus ministers, and really thankful for that. And also for that reason, I'm really excited to say two things: a, that he's agreed to do this podcast. But b, if you're a student and you're listening listening to this in the summer of 2021, you should come and join us at Welcome Retreat because Chris Buxton will be speaking at it. So, um, and so you should you should get excited and you should sign up for that uh, when the postcards come your way, which they are going to be heading your way. Um, as I digress, uh, this uh, series of podcasts that we're doing this summer um, are, uh, I've just been asking campus ministry veterans, like what, what, do they, what text do they think students need to grapple with as they enter into their college years? And um, when I asked Chris that question, uh, he came up with a few, but the one he really honed in on was Ecclesiastes 12, 1 and 2. Uh, and so Chris, uh, just to kind of start our conversation on the text, uh, you know, just kind of read it, read, uh, read this passage uh, for us and and maybe walk us through it a little bit, right? You know, what does this passage mean in general? What does it mean to you maybe on a personal level? And, and what does it mean to some of the students you've encountered? Um, and yeah, I don't know, just kind of unpack it for us. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll say that th- this text is, is really so just actually basic and very fundamental to what we do in Kim's ministry and to uh, college students. I, it really can't get more fundamental than this. And, and, and it's because it basically just says that we, we need to be about the business of, of God's work from a very young age. So it says, and this is the, this is the I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to read it in three different translations. Um, the first one is a very literal translation. The second one is uh, a little bit 
of a, of a more looser translation. And then the third one is, is just a full blown paraphrase. Okay. So the first one is the new revised standard version. And it says, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no pleasure in them before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return with the rain. Now here's the new living translation, a little bit looser. It says, don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Honor him in your youth before you grow old and say, life is not pleasant anymore. Remember him before the light of the sun, moon, and stars is dim to your old eyes and rain clouds continue, continually darken your sky. Now, the third version is written by uh, a man named Jacques Ellul, who wrote a, a book called Reason for Being. It's a, it's a very probably well-known uh, commentary, but but it's not even a, it's not even a traditional commentary, but it's uh, it's it's sort of a commentary on Ecclesiastes. So this is his paraphrase. He says, "Remember your Creator during your youth, when all possibilities lie open before you, and you can offer all your strength intact for His service. Mm -hmm. The time to remember is not after you become senile and paralyzed." then it will not be too late for your salvation, but it is too late for you to serve as the presence of God in the midst of the world and the creation. You must take sides earlier, where you can actually make choices, when you have many paths opening at your feet, before the weight of necessity overwhelms you. I did not expect Jocka Lowell to be brought up during this podcast. So I'm, I'm a big fan already. So, <laughs> Well, if you haven't read uh, Reason for Being, you definitely ought to. Uh, and I, I, I believe that Ecclesiastes, this is, uh, as a side note, is, is, is an incredibly important and compelling book of the Bible for college students to read. It's a really important book of the Bible for campus ministries to process through because the whole book is about essentially the meaning of life. Like, you know, those fundamental questions that college students ask, like, why am I here? Where am I going? What does this all mean? Does it mean anything? And essentially that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes addresses. And so this text comes at, at, at pretty close to the end of the book. It's the first two chapters of the last, or excuse me, the first two verses of the last chapter. And so the last chapter is sort of a summation. And right after this, he begins to paint this picture of old age. And he talks about uh, how you, you know, your, your, your eyes grow dim and your hearing fails you and you, and you begin to get scared of falling down and you, you don't want to leave your house because you're paranoid and, you know, and all those sorts of things. And then eventually death comes and then it's over. And what did this mean? What, what did my life mean? Did it matter? Did, did anything that I did matter? And so as he summarizes this, this philosophical treatise through the book of Ecclesiastes, he summarizes it in part by saying the number one most important thing to do is start early. You know, just like when you talk to an investment counselor who, you know, talks to you about your, your retirement, the most important thing is not how much money you're putting in. The most important thing is to start doing it really early, 
right? And that's, and that's essentially what Ecclesiastes is telling us in this text. If you're going to make a difference for God in this world, if your life is going to truly matter, if you're going to have maximum impact, you're going to have to start early. And I think in campus ministry, we see that so clearly. Um, because we, what we realize is that through the college years, people are making these decisions and, and are being transformed into the kinds of people that they will, that they will basically be for life. Yeah. So um, you, you've unpacked some of the, some of the follow-up questions I have, but I mean, you know, um, is there, you know, I guess maybe how did you first encounter this, this passage? Like, how did this come? Did you come to see this as just a really important one to grapple with? Um, and you, you, do you associate it with kind of a particular place or person or experience? And then also too, I mean, you, you've begun to unpack this, but, uh, and, and, uh, and I'm sure we will continue to unpack this uh, throughout this interview, but like, is there a particular reason why this is important for the college life? Like, why is this a verse that college students must grapple with? Yeah. Well, first question that you asked about, you know, like, do I associate this with a person or anything? Uh, the person I think of primarily is my, my grandmother. My mom's parents were, were faithful Christians, and, and they were both, both of them a wonderful influence on me. And when I was a kid and when I was a teenager, I remember my granny, that's what we called her, uh, quoting this to me every once in a while, just for, you know, during, during conversation, every, every once in a while, she would just say, remember your creator in the days of your youth. And so certainly it's special to me for that reason, because, um, because I associated with her, but, but it's also just so foundational for what I've been doing for most of my adult life, you know, helping, helping college students to remember their creator, uh, in their, in their youth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, so this is, this is, we're going off script totally. If you're listening in here, why, um, and, and maybe, you know, maybe we'll answer this later, but I'll just go and ask it. Um, why is it so difficult? Right. And, and you know, it seems to be communicating. This is such an important thing to do. Right. Uh, to remember our creator in the days of our youth. Why is it so difficult? Uh, you know, the numbers would tell us <laughs> uh, that it's difficult for college students to do that. Uh, you know, you want to unpack maybe yeah. some of the reason why that's so difficult for us? Well, I think it's, I think it's difficult uh, on, on a, in a big picture sense, because everything in our culture is fighting against that. We have essentially become our own God. Um, we, we get, we get this sentiment all the time in our culture now, like you know, things like love yourself first, you, you know, you do you, you follow your truth, those sorts of things. And what we, what we've created is, is a culture in which we have completely torn down any sense of grand men and narrative that we all, that we all adhere to, that we all look to, that helps us all make sense of, of, of the world. And, 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 and in the absence of any sort of grand meta narrative that we all believe to be true, we essentially default to becoming our own God. Mm -hmm. It's not unlike what judges talks about. And, you know, in the days of the judges, there was no King in Israel and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Mm -hmm. And so as students uh, come from childhood through their teen years, through their college years, they are utterly bombarded with this message. You do you, you, 
you seek your truth. You be authentic to who you are. In fact, uh, it, even in the Christian context, like um, holiness and and righteousness have been overshadowed in a, in, in a sense by by this call to authenticity. So the, the the largest call to my heart is for me to be authentic, whatever whatever that may mean to me, you know. And so, you know, I do me. I live my truth. I love me first. Mm-hmm. I, I walked up. I walked last summer. I walked up on this uh, Converse outlet. You know, this this strip mall. You know, these outlet stores, and there was this Converse outlet. Not kidding. I took a picture of it. I've actually used it in a sermon a couple of times because it's so crazy to me. But it was this this giant um, billboard sort of thing in the in this in this big display window in front of the Converse store, and it says "Love yourself first. It's like that's how they're selling Converse shoes. Like if you if you really love yourself, Ben, um, you'll buy some Converse. You know, and so and so. neighbor says love your enemy scripture says deny yourself but our culture is bombarding us with this sentiment that says no you love yourself first mm-hmm. right and so when you're bombarded with that from childhood like my goodness yep. how difficult it is to to get to a place where you can where you can have this submissive spirit to god that says not my will but yours be done mm-hmm. you know here am I, send me. Mm-hmm. You know, I will lay down my life. I will bend my knee. So, you know, so often we want Jesus as Savior, but we, we were really reluctant to accept him as Lord. Mm-hmm. His Lord means he's in charge yeah. of everything, over everything. And so when we're bombarded culturally with this sentiment of resisting any any sense of submission, any sense of higher authority that that i very literally become my own god it is it, it is perhaps more difficult now than it has ever been in human history for someone to get to a place of truly remembering their creator in the days of their youth hmm. yeah 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 and i mean everything on a college campus is it's like hyper um it's um it's only accentuated that right i mean if you think about like just the sense of like um college is all about you getting the right degree so that you can get the right job so that you can have the right life. Right. I mean, so it's just, it's just this microcosm of that. It's like almost this accelerated pace of, of that sense of just like everything's about you getting what you want in, in life. And so, yeah, you know, right. Call students. And, and for those reasons, call students tend to be, and you know, I love college students. I spent most of my adult life working with college students. I'm still, you know, since working with college students. Um, but college students tend to be selfish, and that's why, because you because it is this very um, self-absorbed season of life. Hmm. And when you when you bring to that already self-absorbed season this cultural drumbeat that hmm. says you love you first then what we're turning out so often are all students who, who launch out into the world who are <laughs> um, completely unprepared to live lives of, 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 of selfless sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, uh, let, let's uh, keep, keep diving in here. Um, and, and if we have uh, 
you know, you, you've already hit on some of these themes. So if you want to pass on a question, feel free to pass on it. But um, um, in what ways, uh, you know, you've kind of unpacked this passage, how it applies to, to college life. So I just want to kind of maybe go down some rabbit trails based off that. Um, so in what ways does this passage challenge um, maybe some current things that are happening in Christian culture? Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe in other words, like what areas of current Christian culture does this passage critique in particular? Yeah, I don't think anybody, I don't, I mean, I don't think any church leader or Christian person is going to argue about the importance of remembering God in your youth. I mean, that's, you know, that's pretty universally accepted as, as a good thing. Mm -hmm. And, and I will say that as you look at Christian culture in general, we, we, we often in churches have a have a really strong emphasis on children's ministry on youth ministry and in some cases even on college or campus ministry we build summer camps we do vbs's we uh and and in fact some of our some of our most substantive investments are in christian colleges and universities and so the christian culture in general has absolutely devoted tremendous resources energy potential and focus to this sentiment of how important it is to remember your creator in your youth. But on the other hand, it, it, it's still amazing that so many college students leave their faith behind during the college years. And many of them uh, who come to college without any faith will never encounter a Christian, and at least in, in any meaningful, substantive way. And it doesn't seem like outside of the campus ministry world, which is in Church of Christ, is pretty small. It doesn't seem like that many people are that concerned about that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, parents and youth ministers and church leaders and others often that they're sitting on college. Either they'll assume that they'll be spiritually okay during college, or they may assume, yeah, you know, they're just going to go sow their wild oats and there's really not anything that we can do about it. And we're just sort of hoping that they'll come back on the back end after they've had fun, that they'll come back to church and faith uh, after college. There are a couple of major problems with that, though. One is, obviously, some of them don't ever come back. Um, the best statistics we have show us that somewhere in the neighborhood of 30% of the ones who fall out of faith during those years don't ever come back. But I think the second really huge issue with thinking that way is that even if they do come back at some point, they have now made some of their most crucial life decisions during those years. They've been shaped in the most important ways and who they will always be during those years, and now even if they have come back to faith in Jesus, even if they've come back to church, they're not, they're not who they could have been. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so basically, I mean, yeah, because I mean, that, that, that's the posture that I feel like I, I see. And as, as I read this text when you sent it to me, that, that's kind of what hit my mind. Yeah. It's just almost baked in, you know, like, oh, it's fine. You know, they're, they're going to sow the wild oats. It's, it's the college experience, you know, and they're going to have it and then they'll come back. You know, they'll come back once they have kids. And um, yeah, I mean, what, what a time we forfeited, right? What, what a time of discipleship and, and, and following Jesus and spiritual formation that's forfeited. Right. Just kind of take that posture towards. 
the, the secular state university. And, the, and then the other side of the coin is those students who, who don't have any faith coming to places like Ole Miss mm-hmm. who, you know, well, bottom line is that college is really, the college years are really the last best chance that we have to help people come to faith. Um, there aren't very many people who are, who are being converted and brought to faith in Jesus when they're, you know, 60, 70, 80 years old. I mean, it, it happens, but it's extremely rare. Mm-hmm. And that's because most people become who they're always going to be by the time they're 25, 30 years old. And once they leave their, those, what we typically refer to as the college years, they basically become who they're going to be. And, and, and the, the changes in, in who they are from then on will be fairly minor. But the, but the big, big ticket items of who they're going to be in terms of their values and faith and their integrity and just the way they see the world, those are already mostly set in place by the time they exit their mid twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, um, and, and yet again, this is something you can pass on if you want to, um, cause we've hit on it in some ways, but is there anything else you want to say about, you know, this passage, what does it maybe reveal to us about God, especially in light of what we're talking about um, beyond what our current Christian culture often teaches? And does it reveal to us something necessarily about God as our creator well, I think what it says is that God has designed it, that he's, he has designed human psychology this way. Mm-hmm. In other words, we, we are designed by God to be particularly sensitive to God at, young age, at, a, at a young age. Mm-hmm. And that, now, I, I, don't know, I don't know the reasons why God you know, did it the way he did it, but, but it's very clear to me that psychologically speaking, that God has has wired us that way. Yeah. So that so we're wired to be, to be extremely sensitive and tender and receptive to the call of God at a younger age. And that the older we get, the more that, that receptivity begins to kind of close down. Mm-hmm. Now, again, doesn't mean that we all know people can come to faith much later in life, but it's extremely rare. Yeah. Yeah. Exceptions so, prove the rule. Right. Right. Absolutely. So, so what we, what we see there is a God who created heart, who created humans with this hard wiring to be tender and sensitive to, to God's voice, to God's calling from youth. And the, and then the older you get, it's almost like a a piece of pottery, you know, that gets put into an oven. And when it gets put in there, it's actually still completely malleable. You could change the shape of it, but as, as it, you know, as it, goes through the process, it hardens. And then, you know, after it's done baking, if you try to change it, what are you going to do? You're just going to, you're going to shatter it. You know, it's no longer malleable. And that's exactly the way God wired us in terms of human psychology. Yeah. Um, So maybe in line of some of that, um, kind of a twofold question. What does this passage tell us about the mission field that is the college campus? Um, just hearing you talk, you obviously see the, the, the college campus as a mission field. So what does it tell us about the college campus as, as a mission field, but also in the same breath, in what ways then does this passage send us out onto the college campus as those who bears, bear Christ's name? Yeah. Well, I, again, the, the most, to me, the most important piece of this is just the fact that students all students are still receptive and open um, in a way that a few years down the road, they no longer will be 
typically. But I want to I want to talk about um, uh, three or four other little well, they're not little areas, but but areas that uh, they're related to your question that maybe we don't think about as much. So, for instance, think about the issue of vocation, mm-hmm. because sometimes even those of us in campus ministry lose sight of the fact that students are are on campus. Why? Well, they're they're there to be trained for a career. Now, you know, obviously they don't all follow the career that they got trained in, but that, that's why you come to college. You could come to college for a vocational training process. You know, the, the word vocation comes from, it comes from a Latin word, vocatio, which means calling. And so what typically happens is that we have talents and passions that are wired into us by God which means that in the strictest sense, if you're being guided by your passions and your talents, that means that God has actually chosen your vocation. Mm. So, you know, we, we have things that we're good at that we're not necessarily very excited about, right? Uh, and we have things that we're excited about that we're not necessarily very talented at. But where that comes to, where those intersect, what you're good at and what you're passionate about, when those come together, that forms this bullseye where you're supposed to live your life, right? And that's what we hope is happening in the lives of students. And so in that sense, their, their vocation is, is, you know, implanted within them by God. And that means that every vocation is to be done in service to God. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I, that I really like to push back on, I think it's so important that campus ministers help college students to understand is that there should never be any sense of sacred secular divide. You know, I I grew up hearing people in church occasionally saying things like, well, that's church. This is business. (laughs) Really? Really? Like, like you have some kind of, you know, different operating manual that, that, that you follow in the business world, you know, in your career that is, that is, that is separate in some way. And of, and of course, we, we know that's just certainly not the way we should do it. Um, students enter college, as I said, to prepare for a career. And, and when they're at Ole Miss or other campuses, they, they may learn and, and typically do learn those raw tools for the work. But the question that I want to ask is, what sort of person will they be on the inside? In other words, are, are, are they someone who, who is just who is just simply there to make a buck, you know, because as, as um, fairly well-known scholar Miroslav Volf has said, um, bread is necessary, but bread alone, as Jesus said, bread alone is soul killing. Mm. So I want to encourage students to find someone that they admire. Who's a devoted disciple of Jesus, who is serving in their vocational calling and, 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 and seek to, seek to learn from them, like talk with them about the spiritual challenges and opportunities of that career and help them to help them to think about their vocational calling through the eyes of God. You know, what does that look like to be a follower of Jesus as an engineer, as a teacher, as a registered nurse, you know, as a library director, you know, what does that look like? What does that feel like? What are the inherent challenges and opportunities that come with that vocational calling? Another thing that, that, that I would talk about would be, um, and, and again, this is sort of like everyday stuff that, that we kind of overlook and don't maybe put a lot of stock in, and that would be friendships. Like, I think it's so crucial 
that people like you and me, Ben, we help students think very carefully about their friendships. You know, a lot of times parents will talk about that, but at some point we, we quit focusing on it. We quit, you know, um, emphasizing it. But the truth is we will inevitably become like the people with whom we One thing I ask college students is look at your friends. <laughs> Would you truly say that you desire to be like them? Now, hopefully you can say that, but if you can't, you have to you have to take a step back and, and maybe reevaluate. Because you are becoming more and more like your closest friends. So the question for every college student is based on those friendships, who are you becoming? Mm -hmm. Similar to that, of course, is the question of marriage. Now, certainly not everyone in college is going to get married. Some people never get married. Jesus and the Apostle Paul were incredible um, kingdom vessels as single people. Um, but statistically speaking, most people will get married. And there is no more consequential relationship in all your life than your spouse. So, you know, besides your decision to follow Jesus, there's no more significant decision in your entire life than your decision of who you're going to marry. And so our st students walking through th these seasons where they're making their friendships and deciding who they're going to marry with, with someone like Ben Brinkerhoff walking beside them, or are they just sort of out there floating around with no sense of guidance, with nobody that represents God anywhere nearby, and they're making these incredibly important decisions without any input from God's people. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the, the other one that's this sort of matter of fact, we don't think much about it, but it is so incredibly crucial is the sense of a formation of worldview. Mm -hmm. um, Miroslav Volf that I mentioned earlier, uh, he, he's famously said, um, a view from nowhere is impossible. You know, it's impossible to not have a world of you. Whether you know it or not, you are seeing and understanding and interpreting the world from some particular vantage point. You have some sort of lens on through which you are seeing everything. So one of the things that I tell campus ministers frequently or encourage them to remember is that no high school student, or at least very, very few high school students will enter college with a fully formed worldview. But very few students exit college without one. Mm. And man, if there if there's if there's anything I could say today that would talk about the the you know the crucial nature of campus ministry and why and why this is this verse that we've been looking at is such a big deal, it's that. Like in other words, students during their college years, during those young adult years, they're forming that lens through which they see and interpret and understand everything. And so you know, very few students will come into college with a, with, a, with a worldview that's really complete. Very few will leave college without a complete formed worldview. And that worldview is going to be something that are going to typically carry with them for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. The, um, uh, so, um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for unpacking those like different kind of spheres of life. Cause right. I mean, basically if, if I'm hearing you correctly, and I think I am, um, if we just kind of take that posture of, well, you know, just sow your wild oats in college, come back to church afterwards when you have a kid, you know, just we're forfeiting formation in all those different facets and areas of life. And that is like, that's just not something we want to do. Right. Um, and also too, like 
that's not going to lead to the good life. If you're like a, if you're an incoming freshman, you're listening to this, like you do not want to forfeit God at work in this, those spaces in your life. You just, that's, it's not something you want to do. Um, and so we kind of talked a lot about maybe, um, it's been pretty prophetic at this point. Um, and so maybe kind of flipping the gear a little bit to be a little bit more pastoral, which I struggle with more. Um, and so, uh, but maybe in what ways does this passage provide good news? Uh, and particularly maybe some good news beyond what the current Christian culture envisions, right? Um, and so, in, you know, in what ways is this good news for campus? In what ways is this good news for the religious? Um, where, where's some, maybe some hope and some good news in all of this? Yeah. Well, I think first of all, I would say to campus ministers, what you do is so important. What you do is so crucial. I know that in my campus ministry career, I often felt unseen at times. I felt isolated, lonely, detached. Because often we're out there. Uh, on the campus, separated from the rest of a, you know, if we work for a church, we're separated maybe from the rest of the church staff. Oftentimes we'll go for weeks at a time without being around anyone our own age or older. And sometimes we do feel that sense of detachment and separation and isolation and loneliness. And what I want to say to, to campus ministers is, man, what you're doing is so crucial. Because receptivity that is inherent in every person begins to begins to get smaller and smaller as people get older. So as I said earlier, the college years are that last best chance to reach people with faith. So Kim Smithers, man, what you do is so crucial. Um, I, I think I think similarly I would just simply say that that sometimes we tend to view the university, the, the secular university as this um, sort of soul-stealing entity, you know, it's just gonna gonna come in and kind of rip the faith out of out of people's hearts by the roots, you know. Um, and 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 I understand that sentiment. I, I I get it, and and I understand why people think that way and and say that. And and frankly, there there have been times when I've witnessed something like that happening in the lives of students. However. I don't think that we want to see, or I don't think we want to interpret the secular university's antagonism toward faith to be uh, a completely negative thing. Now, you may think, well, how is that not negative? Well, in and of itself, it is negative, completely negative. When you when when you encounter nothing but sort of naturalistic explanations for life. Um, can you can you even extract any sense of meaning or purpose from that? I would argue probably not. But on a positive note, on the other side of that, what happens typically in 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 the absence of a sense of meaning and purpose and fulfillment and you know why am I here? Does any of this matter? We we tend to crave the answers to those questions all the more. And so as we're, as we, as students enter the secular university and as they struggle to find answers that are actually meaningful, answers that actually bring hope, answers that, that, that give them a sense of purpose, and they don't receive them, they don't get them, you know, when they, in the absence of those answers, they're going to crave them all the more. 
And that's where, that's where God's people come in. And that's where God's people fill this vacuous void. You know, that these students are so, you know, they're so hungry and thirsty for something that, that, that tells them that their, their life matters and that, that, that there's a purpose for all this. And when we can come in and help them to see that and understand that students will just blossom, you know, they just come to life in, in these beautiful new ways. So while antagonism toward faith on the college campus is, is certainly true, it's certainly, uh, frankly, rampant, but we don't need to look at that as a, as a, as a wholly negative development mm-hmm. because as, as students enter this sort of, you know, this void of meaning and purpose and faith, they're going to seek that all the more. And then God's people are there, hopefully, hopefully God's people are there to come alongside them and help them see the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The um, man, well, yeah, I think, thank you uh, for sharing that. I mean, um, in terms of time, uh, I tr- we try to keep these semi short and um, I'm long winded and I've talked too much already on this one, but um, uh, it's just, it's been too rich to not uh, ask a, a few follow-up questions. I wasn't supposed to. Um, so, uh, <laughs> but just to kind of maybe, maybe draw this to a close, we've seen kind of what this passage means, how it challenges us, how it provides us hope. Um, and so just a lot of all of that, um, what, what would just maybe just kind of two, two things to close. What would a campus ministry look like if they understood the scripture well, like, like just kind of on a communal level, what would a campus ministry look like? But then also to, um, in light of everything that, that you've said and that you shared, is there any parting advice that you have for individuals, particular returning and incoming students based on what is revealed in this passage? I, I think campus ministers need to be aware of the potent potency of what they're doing. In other words, I, I'm someone whose life was, was truly transformed through, through campus ministry. I, even all these years later, I'm still on the trajectory that I was set on as a college student. And so, uh, you know, I think probably like talking about the nuts and bolts of campus ministries outside the purview of this conversation, but I think it's just important for, for campus ministers to realize how big a deal it is, what they do, like how crucial it is, how utterly life transforming it can be. Um, I think that so often campus ministry tends to, for, for a lot of people, tends to be relegated to this, um, I don't know, this corner of God's kingdom. And, oh, yeah, it's this nice little thing that, that, that you know, Ben and Chris and other people do with college students. But, you know, um, doesn't really have much to do with me. Well, <laughs> I've always resisted that. I've always pushed back against that. In fact, through the years, I've had different people um, either ask me, um, seriously, like, are you going to ever, you know, like be a preacher or something like that? Are you going to ever become, you know, a real minister? <laughs> you know? And I get, I get it. I understand that. But the truth is, Ben, if I, if I'm working with college students who are, who are, who are receptive, who are eager, who are, who are transformable, who are teachable, who are sendable, who can be activated for God's mission in ways that almost no other segment of society can be, then I'm not sure why I would want to leave that. Um, my goodness, college students, you are entering what is in so many ways the most transformative season of your entire life. Mm-hmm. 
and you are going to be making some of the most crucial decisions of your life. Take it from a guy who's older, the, the, the vocation that you select, the friends you select, the, the, uh, the marriage, the, you know, the, the spouse that you select, and the worldview that you choose to see the world through. My goodness, are there, are there four more important decisions than those uh, other than you know, the, the, the decision to follow Jesus? You are, you are making during these college years the most important, the most transformative decisions of your life. You're becoming who you will be for the rest of your life. Like an arrow shot from a bow, the direction that you're headed in when you leave college is in most cases the direction that you will continue to head in for the rest of your life. You are right now becoming who you will always be. So the question is, are you okay with that as you look in the mirror? And if you're not, I hope that you will pause here in the middle of the summer before you're about to start another school year and think about who you are, who you're becoming, and who you truly want to be.